RadioInfluence.com. Welcome into the midweek edition of the MA Report Podcast. I guess a little bit later than midweek, as it is uh, typically record this show on a Wednesday, but uh, we're recording this one here on Thursday. As my man Daniel was had a nice little vacation. Uh, I mean, have, have, how did you handle the Florida heat, bro? First off, look, man, uh, I, I gotta be honest with you. It's a lot better than Texas. Okay, it is hotter. I grant you that. It just feels hotter. It certainly feels. Like I, I'm an egg getting getting baked in in the Florida sun, especially around 12 o'clock. And you know, I, I was in Orlando for a whole week. I went to the Disney parks. I went to Universal Studios. And some days we didn't get out to about 11, 12 o'clock, and I was roasting. But I tell you what, Jason, I like the Florida weather better than the Rio Grande Valley weather, and it's all about the humidity, baby. I recognize that Florida is hotter, but dude, the humidity for where I'm from is just absolutely killer. But, man, I love Florida. I, I wasn't prepared for the, the random shower <laughs> every day. Yeah. But I loved my time, and, you know, I, I'm glad I got back so we can talk about these fights because it just feels like my vacation rolls over into the weekend. I get a, a dope, you know, pay-per-view to, to watch. So uh, it's all good vibes for me, my man. I feel just relaxed. Yeah, I, I tell you, man, after about, uh, you know, ha- having the nieces and nephews over at Universal, after about three hours in this heat, I- I'm bro, I'm, I'm old, man. I'm, I, tur- I turn 41 uh, next weekend. So, yeah, it's uh, after about three or four hours, I'm like, oh, man, I'm done. Oh, dude, I went to Epcot, and I did the whole I – didn't, I didn't do, like, drinking around the world, but I drank a lot of beers in various countries. And I'm like, how do people not die just drinking beer in this heat, walking on end? I mean, Epcot has to be the most brutal park to be at, I think. I feel like that's the one where you're outside the most, and it's compounded by the fact that you're drinking all types of beer or wine. But, uh, man, dude, there's this one grapefruit beer in one of the German restaurants in Epcot. It literally just tastes like grapefruit juice. Uh-huh. They Very dangerous. I, I loved it. But, uh you know, you recommended to me this awesome chocolate place at, at the Universal Studios, and I kind of capped off my night there, and I, I loved it, man. The Emporium, oof, a delicious milkshake. So, uh, yeah, hat tip to you for being a good guy for me when I had questions and, and whatnot, man. The Express Pass, by the way, big-time recommendation for Universal Studios. Oh, yeah. I, I tell people, like, this is a hat tip. If you are, you know, going thinking about traveling, and, and especially if you got kids, Stay at one of the premier universal hotels. You know, I mean, yes, it's going to get expensive. That that sticker price, you know, you know, on the low end, you're probably in the 400s, high end, eight hundred thousand dollars a night. But you get that express pass, unlimited. Oh, <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a hat tip. Yeah, especially if you got kids. Yeah, yeah, I, I will say the the difference between Universal and Disney World is like Disney World is more like a cult. You know, everyone's got a smile on their face and whatnot. Universal, the employees are a little more like, ah, it's my nine to five, you know. (laughs) (laughs) But I I loved it all, man. I really did. And, yeah, we had the lightning lane for Disney. We had the Express. I I don't get how people can wait in lines. I mean, I I, I did have to wait in line for two hours for that Hagrid ride at Harry Potter World because you don't have an Express Pass for that one. I don't understand these people who wait in lines, man. I, I, I I couldn't hack it, you know. Dude, I, my no. phone would be dead by halfway through the day. So when they opened up like the, it was either a first or second Harry Potter ride at Universal. And, and my wife is a huge Harry Potter fan. 
she wanted to go the opening weekend we did there. Eight hours, bro. Eight hour wait. The ride we ended up getting broken down, and you, yeah, you want to talk about winning some major husband points? Yeah, it was like eight hours we were in that line. You waited in line for eight hours. Happy wife, happy life, bro. Well, we, we didn't know it was going to be that long, but which, it was which which which, which ride was it? I forget which one it was. Was it one of the ones where it, like it was in Universal? It, it might it might have been um, Escape from Green Gods. Okay, yeah. I mean, they're good rides, but definitely not worth eight hours. There's one Harry Potter ride that lasts about ten seconds. The Flight of the Hippogriff. Yeah, yeah. it was it was insane. I was like, what the hell? This lasted like less than the Conor McGregor and Jose Aldo. You know, I, I, I and I, I started thinking when I was at the park, like I, I could see like a WWE theme park that they could have a roller coaster where you like pretend to be Mick Foley getting thrown off the cage from Undertaker. Like that would be a cool little ride. I couldn't figure out any ideas for UFC theme parks, so I couldn't figure out any uh, UFC uh, ride ideas that could happen. I mean, I, I I don't know. Well, what would be a good one? You know, b- pretending to be in the Forrest Griffin Stefan Bonner fight. I don't know. Ooh, ooh, I got it. You're in the bus that Conor McGregor assaulted. Oh my god! Just <laughs> get a dolly thrown at you. I don't know if you if if you've noticed. Uh, have you seen who Connor's recently been going after on Twitter? Uh, I'm not sure. Is it uh, is it somebody? Who, it is someone in? Um, he's kind of a, a folk hero in a way. I guess you would describe it in, no, in the combat sports community. Who Liver King? Hezbollah. Like he's talking trash to Hezbollah. Yes. Why? I, don't I have understand. no idea what the origin of the story what is. The hell? Like, <laughs> jeez, yeah, Hezbollah. I mean, man, hopefully, yeah, that's a that's a money fight I've ever heard one. Hezbollah and Conor McGregor. But who knows? We're literally getting a Paul brother versus Anderson Silva. So who, God only knows if Conor and Hezbollah will fight down the line. Yeah, yeah, that's October 29th. Uh, before we get into UFC 278, got a little breaking news here on a Thursday. Tiago Santos is no longer with the UFC. He has signed an exclusive deal with PFL. He'll be a part of the 2023 light heavyweight tournament. And, uh, you know, Pete, uh, I called you Pete because I did a show with Pete Rogers here earlier today. Uh, Daniel, it's, I think it's a, it's a good signing. It's, it's a, it's a good, nice signing for the PFL. He's a good fighter, right? He's a, he's, that's what he is. But to me, he's a little bit of like the older type of signing they've done in recent years compared to maybe the Shane Burgos type of signing, where with Shane Burgos, you are thinking PFL is getting him in the prime of his career, whereas with Tiago Santos, it reminds me more of like the Fabricio Verdum type of signing. But this is a win-win for both. The PFL can use fighters like Tiago Santos, and Tiago Santos, who's certainly just a completely different fighter than he was heading into that John Jones fight, is at the very tail end of his career. So it, it makes all the sense in the world. Give him an opportunity, get some big paydays, win a million dollars. PFL gets a guy with some name value and respect in the game. So it, it, it's a win-win, but it, it definitely reminds me of like the Fabricio Verdum um, type of signing that the PFL has done. But there's a place for guys like this in the PFL fighters. You know, a fighter like Stephen Thompson, for example. I, I know he just recently got booked. Basically, what I'm talking about is the fighters who maybe the championship aspirations aren't there anymore. So for them, it's probably more fruitful to be putting themselves in a position to potentially win a million dollars. It's not a game-changing signing, but it's a nice little addition to the light heavyweight roster. And it, it will definitely 
Look, I'll, I'll put it simply, Jason. Tiago Santos in the next light heavyweight turn of it makes me more interested than whoever they would have put in his place. And this story was reported by Brett Akimoto earlier this afternoon, where uh, this is a quote from Ray Cepho. He says, we're very excited to bring in Tiago Santos to the PFL light heavyweight division. He is known thoroughly through through at the MMA world as a guy who delivers exciting fights. And I'm looking forward to seeing his elite knockout power up close. And Santos's manager, Alex Davis, said it was an amicable separation with the UFC. Tiago is very grateful for everything UFC did for him, and he's very grateful towards the PFL for signing him. He's looking forward to winning a million dollars. And by the time Tiago Santos makes his PFL debut, he will be 39 years old. And I mean, like seeing that quote from Alex Davis kind of makes it that the UFC had probably had told uh, Alex that the days of Tiago Santos in the UFC were coming to an end anyway. You know, and this is a guy that has fought the elite of the elite competition in the UFC light heavyweight division. You always kind of wonder with him is if he doesn't have those knee issues from the John Jones fight, you know, the double knee surgery that he ended up having with the career trajectory gone. I mean, he's had some fights that weren't the most exciting, uh, but uh, he was last fight. He didn't get the winning against Jamal Hill, but it was fun. But I think overall, like, I think you look at if you're a PFL, it's a, it's a good, nice signing. I mean, I think that's about the best way to describe it. Yeah, it is. It is. Uh, you know, Santos is in that point of his UFC run where the UFC doesn't have much to offer him when it comes to, like, the types of fights he was going to get moving forward were going to be the ones he was getting recently, which is these young killers, Ankalaya, Rockich, Jamal Hill. Santos is just going to be set up being on the B side of these fights to to make other fighters. Now he's in a position where he will be in the A side. Now he's in a position where he will make possibly a million dollars. He wouldn't be my betting favorite just because the one thing he hasn't been as consistent since the injuries. He hasn't returned to form, but he's shown nice moments, right? He, you know, lost to Jamal Hill, but there were moments in the fight that you took and were like, oh, it's a nice little return to form there. But yeah, uh, for Santos at 39, when he becomes 39, it's the perfect place for him to be. Other uh, news here on a Thursday, Mason Jones, he tweeted that uh, he is no longer in the UFC as he uh, tweeted. As most of you know, I fought my UFC contract out. I won't be resigning with the UFC this side of this year and may take some fights outside the organization before returning to keep you all entertained. As always, those who are interested should contact my guy, Grant Nolan. Of course, uh, Grant Nolan, manager, also one of the guys behind Cage Warriors, Mason Jones, uh, ultimately went one and one with uh one and two with one no contest in the ufc uh he lost his last fight back in july against ludova klein klein just i mean absolutely styled him on that one if if i was going to offer the dumbified version of that tweet hey uh i fought out my contract ufc didn't offer me a new deal so uh i'm gonna take some fights out outside the ufc and hopefully get back to the ufc I, I, i feel like that's the translation of that tweet when you say you aren't re-signing with the UFC and you don't immediately have a deal with the PFL or Bellator or bare knuckle boxing, then yes, I think read between the lines. You know, for Mason Jones, look, he's only what, 27 years old. I think he's someone who you probably would have projected would have had a longer run in the UFC. He was a massive favorite against Klein in that last fight. Mm-hmm. I think the expectation was he was going to be one of those guys in the England card that came away as a star. To, to, to build on maybe not a superstar but a guy to build on so again i i think realistically for mason jones he's probably just going to return to cage warriors and get some fights in there 
piece together a few wins. And I wouldn't be stunned if he returns back to the UFC. I just think he fought a really guy, good guy in Klein who was probably really undervalued at those betting odds of that blades asking all fight. I think moving forward, Ludovic Klein's going to be a really freaking good. So yeah, I mean, I think reading between the lines, I think anyone can kind of infer what he, what happened there between the those two parties. Uh, other news has happened over in the past uh, day or so. Dustin Poirier, Michael Chandler is now official for the pay-per-view at MSG in November, as uh, ESPN reported. Also noted that Michael Chandler has signed a new multi-fight deal with the UFC. So I think it kind of uh, lets you know maybe why the little bit of delay there. Three-round matchup, so a uh, great matchup added there for that lightweight division there. Um, so those are kind of some of the breaking news that have happened over the past couple of days. But, of course, this weekend, UFC 278, Hamza Chemaev, Nate Diaz. 279, 279. 279. Yeah. I keep, I keep calling it 278 for some reason. I know. You have. I, I You said it one time in the pre-show, and I should have corrected you, and then you busted it out. I'm like, damn, Jason, are you on Wikipedia like me? That's my source of information. I am not on Wikipedia. I actually have <laughs> I have uh, Microsoft Word up where I've got the uh, fight card and uh, my various notes on the fight here. But, uh, you know, it, it's one of these things. Like, so last night I'm watching all the, the media day videos, and – you know, and, and listening to Nate Diaz and Hamzad and everybody else. And I still sit there and go like, we all know why the UFC made this match the way they made it. And now Dana White has been very complimentary of Nate Diaz all week long. You would not think that Nate Diaz is essentially walking out the door after Saturday night. Like, but I'm sitting back going, this should be Nate Diaz versus Tony Ferguson, not Nate Diaz versus Hamzad Shmaev. Yeah, I agree with you. That's what makes sense in terms of what is, like, logically speaking, the type of fight someone like Nate Diaz should get. But we all know what's happening here. It feels like it was last week that Nate Diaz went on the MA Hour and was like, let me out of my deal, Dana. I'll fight anyone. I'll fight Chemayev. I'll fight Bigfoot. I'll fight Bigfoot Silva. I'm sure he has a fight lined up this weekend somewhere. I'll fight anyone, you know, and all of a sudden we get the rush job. We get Shemaev. Here we go. We all know what this is. They want Nate Diaz to leave on a loss. They want to use him to build a star. It's what the UFC has done for the vast majority of Nate Diaz's career. It's why he's so frustrated because he's been used as the kingmaker in the lightweight division. He's been used as the guy to elevate other fighters. And that's just sports business, my man. That's just how it goes in combat sports. You have someone who's a hot commodity who you use to heat up other talented fighters. This is just a cruel side where it looks like a massive mismatch on paper. And it looks like the type of fight that can get really, really, really uncomfortable heading into round one, two, three. It's one of those pay-per-view main events that is rare in that I might re- feel regret having spent my hard-earned money on this pay-per-view. You know, financially, Jason, I'm thinking about my finances a lot more this Saturday because I just burnt through my whole bank account in Orlando. Okay, <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm getting by this week. I'm going. I'm living paycheck to paycheck as I'm paying off the the, the loan I had to take out. You know, to, to go to Orlando. So I'm 
financially, I am I am concerned this weekend. And I'm like, Jesus, am I really gonna have to fork out, you know, eighty some ninety dollars for this pay per view? I'm concerned about it. I will, but I, it's it's not a pay per view I feel good about buying. I feel like this is one of those pay per views where people who may go out for fights. They look at this pay-per-view and go, you know what? I'd rather go out to my local sports bar that has the fights. And I'm going to sit at a table. I'm going to spend, you know, $30, $40, you know, you know, get a little food, get a couple you know, drinks. And, and that's how they take in UFC 279. 100%. Because it's not only the main event. I think the whole main card isn't pay-per-view worthy. It's close. It's like it's close. Basically, when I look at this main card... I see a lot of great number three fights on a pay-per-view. I just don't see a co-main event. I don't. There, there's not There's not a fight on here that rings out, oh, this is a, a co-main. Tony Ferguson Lee doesn't ring out to me as a co-main event on a pay-per-view. It's a great fight. I'm excited for it. But the standard for these pay-per-views is really high. And, you know, Kudalaba, Walker, Holland, Daniel Rodriguez – Irina Adanya could challenge for the Women's Bantamweight Championship with the win here, but still her versus Chase on, hell, those aren't even number three fights on pay-per-views. Those are fights that kind of belong on the prelims, you know? I'm, I'm not excited to spend a lot of money on this card. Look, here's the thing, though. Here's the thing. So, like, the um, these fights look badass in terms of fight quality, right? Like, these all look like barn burners. But in terms of fight fighters that matter, top 10, top 15 fighters, oof, I'm not feeling good about this purchase, my man. No, I, I totally get where you're coming from. I mean, I absolutely get it. Like, So we've heard some great excuses in this world of MMA. Yeah. I know you just got back to Rio Grande, so you maybe have not heard the excuse Johnny Walker has for his recent losing streak. I haven't. I'm totally out of the loop. What happened? What do you say? All right. Here is the quote. Here, here, here is the Johnny Walker quote. This is from the story from MMA Junkie. According to Walker, using the products had a negative influence on his life. He didn't fully understand. And most times he was operating while in another dimension. By the way, the products he's talking about is CBD and THC. Quote, it's nothing against the CBD. It's just myself, my brain. Don't react good. Other people's maybe, but my brain, maybe I have ADHD. Then when I have the CBD, the CBD should calm me down. But the little percent is good. Every CBD has a little bit of THC. The THC effed me up. I get paranoid. I don't trust nobody. I get late for training. I don't follow schedule. It effed my life. I didn't know that. I was drugged myself for the last three years and I didn't notice. Now I know and I stopped taking. That's wild. That's absolutely wild. Who knows, man? Uh, maybe this is going to be the return of Johnny Walker. <laughs> maybe all he needed to do was stop taking CBD. I'm not someone who takes CBD. Uh, I just I, don't. I take CBD for my back. Um, I, I just, you, you know. Do you, do you do you get messed up? Do you feel? Are you out of it? No, no. I, it's honestly, in terms of relief for lower back pain, it is the best thing that I. Like you, you look, we, we've all had back pain, whatnot. You, you go to your, your grocery store, you go to Target, Walmart, wherever you shop. And we've all done the back pain reliefs, you know, you know, the Ben Gays of the world and everything like that. CBD cream has been by far the best thing for me. 
I, I can't say for other people, but for me, of course, I get the high doses. I get the 1,000 milligrams. But uh, to me, like, it's in terms of when I have back pain problems, it's the best thing. Like, when I go on the road, like I go to Dallas on, on Saturday, I put that CBD um, cream in my bag just in case if, if I have, you know, if my, my back acts up a little bit. So, I mean, what do you think of Walker's excuse here? It's Tito Ortiz level here, bro, with these excuses. Like, I, I, we've seen you fight, bro. Like, you just haven't shown up. Yeah. This is a great fight for him to show up, though. Kudalaba is going to bring the fight to Walker. Like, that's one thing I know about this fight is they're going to trade shots, man. And, I mean, if if Walker doesn't show up to fight, Kudalaba is going to put him away. Uh, but, yeah, I – look, I – I feel like oftentimes when fighters have this career reflection in the press leading up to a fight, they never turn it around. They, it's never, it's, it, it doesn't really happen ever. I want to hear about this career reflection and turning point in your career after you won the fight, and then we can then we can talk. But until then, I'm not buying into it. Don't worry. And also the great media day quotes. We all know the term "goat" in sports. Yes. Tony Ferguson called himself the boat. The best of all time? Yeah. I, I don't stop. Tony always does some weird stuff. You Dude. Know? I So it's like he had by far the longest scrum. It was like 22 minutes long. And there's times that I'm listening to this and I'm just going, does he really believe all this stuff? Yeah. Of course, you know, Habib came up. I feel yeah. like Tony cannot do an interview without bringing up Habib. Like, bro, move on. Well, does he get asked about Habib or does he bring him up? It got it. I forget. I don't think. I think he brought it up because it was, a, you know, it was talking about because the ultimate fire. And he's like, yeah, I'm on board. I talked to his manager. They're on board. They were just waiting on Habib. And I'm just like, dude, like, this is one of those things where with Tony in this matchup, like, I think we forget how good he did look in that first round against Michael Chandler before he got knocked out there in the second. He's been training at Jackson Wink. He, like I mentioned about one of the, I mentioned about the the boat comedy he had. Uh, he also essentially alluded to the fact that this is really the first time in the camp he's sparred in five years. Well, I mean that's not something that's crazy, but well, okay. Yeah, when I say it's not crazy, it's because a lot of top fighters, excuse me, a lot of top, excuse me. A lot of, I keep on having a thing in my throat. A lot of guys who are veterans, like, spar like once a week. You know, they don't spar often. I know five years is a, is okay. a long time. My buddy Pete Rogers, he brought up a great point on our on our betting show. He's like, saying that is like a swimmer saying they don't swim laps in the pool. He's like, you got to spar. Yeah, but you you're right. But you also listen to guys talk about it. Like, um, God, who was it? I mean, somebody was talking about it. I want to say on the MA Hour about how they only spar once, like once a week. That's it, just to just to stay locked in. But it it's probably Dominic Cruz. I'm thinking of that said this, maybe. But the moral of the story was like, you are at a level where you are the what you're gaining from sparring isn't as much as the risk and the diminishing returns of full on sparring. With that being said, 
that fighter, whoever it was, still said they sparred at least once a week, and not a five-year diff, you know, absence of sparring. Yeah, I mean, I remember you know Cerrone a while ago. You know, he talked about his sparring more become this light sparring. Like there, there's things you'll hear about in, in various gyms where fighters will say, "Oh, I'm not training with that guy because that guy doesn't know what light sparring is." They believe like every sparring session is a fight. But like, I don't know what to expect out of Tony Ferguson. Obviously, going to Jackson Wink, I think, is great for his career at this stage. But this is one of those fights where I think for Ja Ling, he's in kind of a, a good position. I would expect that he keeps this fight on the feet, you know, makes this a striking matchup. But I don't rule out Tony Ferguson. If Tony Ferguson can survive uh, potentially an early onslaught there from it. Um, you know, in terms of the main event, like Hamzat Shemaev should win. It's crazy. When you look at the betting odds, he's over 11 to 1 betting favorite. If you correlate that into what that betting odd means for his uh, percentage of chance of winning the fight, 93%. Jeez Louise. I can't I can't actually find the um, the betting odds for Chemayev and Diaz on best fight odds. Chemayev is a is a it was uh as of earlier this morning, he was uh, a minus uh, 1150. Over on DK Sportsbook, yeah, he was minus eleven fifty. Diaz plus seven fifty. Dude, I would, I would, uh, if if uh, if I could, if I could go somewhere in Texas and put a bet down, I would put some money down on Nate Diaz. Not because I think he's going to win, but it'd be a fun bet to have, right? It would make the fight so much more interesting. Because the thing about this fight is, it makes all the sense in the world for Chimaev to be this heavy favorite, but. Nate Diaz is a special type of fighter. Yeah. Nate Diaz is that dude. He is a dog with the capital D. He's the guy where if you count him out in the fifth round, he's gonna make you he's gonna make you sweat it. Just talk to the welterweight champion of the world. <laughs> you know? And the other thing is, Shemayev's game, a big part of his game is just putting a guy on his back and beating the holy hell out of him. There's one guy on his back I really like in that weight class, and it's the guard of Nate Diaz. That is a slick and dangerous guard. I think on the feet, Chemayev will probably piece him up too because of his power, but Chemayev is hittable. Gilbert Burns showed us the playbook. That was a very close fight between him and, and Durino. And uh, I, I, would, I would definitely think about putting some money down on Nate Diaz just because there's just something in the air about this fight. It just it just feels so strange. Wouldn't it be a fitting fitting story if Nate Diaz pulls off this? Okay, here, here, let me end it on this. Let me just ask you this straight up. We've seen some big upsets. We've seen Juliana Pena upset Amanda Nunez. Is Nate beating Chimaev a bigger upset than that in your mind or not? No, no, it's not right. So yeah, it, it it'd be a it'd be one hell of a story if it happened. My question is heading in this fight on the Hamzat Chemaev is, do we see a different approach than what we saw against Gilbert Burns? You go back and you watch that fight against Gilbert Burns, it's almost like he didn't realize it was a 15-minute fight, that he just expected he was going to be able to get Gilbert Burns out of there quick. If this fight hits the fourth round, what does that gas tank look like? Because you go back and, and watch that third round against Burns, you can see that gas tank is wearing down. So do we maybe see a more labored approach by Hamzat Shemaev as opposed to that kind of balls to the wall approach we have seen with Hamzat with with um with Hamzat previously. The other thing that I would say 
is on the Nate Diaz side of the equation, he is the guy that gets cut up pretty easily. Could we potentially see a doctor stoppage? That's why over on, on Takedown City, uh, the prop bet I mentioned was Hamzat Chemaev wins round three plus 550. Yeah, yeah, that's a good prop to play because absolutely you could see Nate going back to the stool bleeding from, you know, maybe an elbow from top position from Chemaev or anything. To, to cut him up. I think that's a very good play at, at, at play, but I, I think I see a TKO finish, but not be a blood stoppage. I think it'd be a ground and pound for Chemaev in this one. I just think he's going to have a different approach from Gilbert Burns. And the reason being is I think the second that fight was over, Chemaev must have thought to himself, that was a legendary fight. And I never want to be in one of these again, because that was an ordeal for him. And I think that's definitely going to change his approach. And, Nate brings a much different striking approach than, than Burns. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I expect to be a Shmaev win, but I'll correlate this to last week's main event where you had a big underdog in, in the B side of the fight where, as a fan, you were hoping that that underdog was going to go out there and talk to us, almost pull it off there in the second round. Like, I feel like for a lot of people tuning in on Saturday night, whether they're sitting on their couch or at a buddy's house, they're out at a, at a restaurant bar, they're going to be rooting for Nate Diaz, but I think we all know Hamza Chemaev is going to win. Yeah, exactly. But it's why we buy the pay-per-views. We buy the pay-per-views for that off chance we're going to see a miracle. And I don't think we're due for one. Right. We just had one in the last pay-per-view. So I think we're probably getting too greedy if we're expecting another one. Like we just had one of the great moments of all time with Leon Edwards winning that championship in the, the last minute. But, you know, if Diaz does it, that would that would be uh, that'd be crazy. But, yeah, I think Chemayev's the pick. And uh, I do like Lee to win that co-main event. And, and again, I will say this, even though I disrespected the main card from a pay-per-view standpoint, it's going to be all action. It's going to be a great fight card to have and watch with your buddies. Dude, there's one prelim fight I'm excited for. You know which one that is? Akeem Dawadu and Joey Narosa. Well, that's a good fight. That's just that's just a good fight. But no, it, this is uh, oh oh Chris Barnett and Jay Collier. That is just fun. That is just a fun fight. All right, Arosa Dawadu. That's just a straight up good fight. I like I like like Collier and Barnett is just a fun heavyweight scrap with two fun dudes. I like watching the fight, especially Barnett. I know Barnett's a big dog here. He's probably gonna lose, but uh, damn that that that's gonna be a fun one. Like that that's one that I kind of have circled on the preliminary card. Yeah, there was a story that came out about Chris Barnett where he uh, revealed a a passionate side of Dana White earlier on this week where um, that when his wife passed away and uh, this was a quote to bjpen.com he says I don't know if you know but my wife had passed away they called me 30 hours before the Boudet fight saying I need to make a decision I was like huh what do you mean when I left she was fine now this is popping up and he ends up fighting after his wife passed away oh what was his wife sick yeah, she had been, uh, it said, uh, he goes, with all the, he goes, this is more on the quote. Uh, this was on BJPenn.com. He goes, with all that going on, that camp wasn't a camp, man. She went to the hospital on February 8th and was in the hospital till May 10th. Training-wise, I would go maybe a good two hours in a day, and then I was in the hospital the entire time. It was one of those things a wow. lot of fighters would have pulled out. Yeah, yeah, that's crazy. I hadn't read that or heard of that. That's crazy, man. I mean, that that's so sad, and that forever changes a person. Wow. Yeah, Poor he, go, he goes on to say, 
He goes, Dana White also called me and cussed me out. He was like, dude, why would you take the fight? I told him I didn't want to, but I understood. I see people pull out and I see what they all say. Even with something of that magnitude, I should have, I shouldn't have fought because I know I wasn't getting in the training, but I signed the contract. Once we signed the contract, life is going to happen and it is what it is. I hate to say it, but that's what a lot of uh, people outside look at you. You sign the contract and unless you get hurt, they don't care. They technically, they technically what the contract says goes on to say he goes Dana is always invited to the barbecue because he called me he didn't have to he called me and he was like why are you all right let me know if you need anything type of thing he knows I'm not that type of person to ask for anything but he'll still did stuff on the outside he goes on to say a lot of times when fighters talk about pay and all this other stuff I just don't understand because they take care of us well they take care of me win lose or draw he didn't have to make the phone call and he did he went through a couple of channels to find me and get a hold of me. So that right there adds so much more like, damn, he cares. Yeah, that's a hell of that's a heartwarming story, man. You know, and it shows that's a yeah way to go for Dana to do that. But damn, that's that's tough, man. And yeah, he should have pulled out of that fight, man. Like, but it, it goes to show the insane pressure um, an athlete feels if you're not someone who is a superstar in this sport you if you're a guy who's on the prelims you feel that immense pressure of you need to fight no matter what and sometimes we see performances and we don't know why a guy may look listless or not look up to par and it's something outside the cage that maybe never comes to light and and you just never know i'm gonna throw a crazy stat out for you Uh uh-huh the date is November 5th, 2016. Okay. That is the last time Tony Ferguson won a fight against a fighter currently in the UFC. <laughs> it's, a, it's about uh it's about what? 6 years? Yeah. That was against Jesus. RDA. RDA wow. And Edson Barboza are the only two F- two UFC wins Tony Ferguson has that are against a fighter currently in the UFC. Yeah, man, I like uh, I like Lee to win this fight. <laughs> it's crazy. It's uh, it's crazy. I, I do think for Ferguson. I mean, when when you talk about being the boat or whatever, eh, there was a point in time when. He was essentially one of the top two lightweights in the world. But, yeah, that was, uh, you know, that was 2018, 2019. And uh, it, it all kind of went downhill after the loss to Gaethje. And, look, he's literally lost to Darius, Chandler, Oliver, and Gaethje. Mm-hmm. And don't get any harder than that in the weight class. I mean, those are probably the four best guys along with uh, – Oh God! Along with um, oh my gosh, he's fighting Oliver. Who's fighting Oliver? Oh, it's no, no, Mahachev. So those four: Darius, Chandler, Oliver, Gaethje, and Mahachev are probably the five best lightweights in the world. And he he's fought the four of the five. So yeah, no, no, there there's no doubt about it. But it's one of those things, and you know, we I always talk about you know, Father Time is undefeated, and and we never know when Father Time is going to hit an athlete. Where you know they look, you know, top their you know, the, their level. And then all of a sudden, 
just things don't start going their way. And, th- and that's my thing with Tony Ferguson. Like, I don't know how you can have a lot of faith in Tony Ferguson at this point. Um, you know, I don't know how, how really of clearly he's not really cutting weight for, for this matchup. We'll, we'll see what happens there. The Kevin Holland, Daniel Rodriguez fight, I think could be a very fun fight. Um, if for people who've not catched Kevin Holland's media scrum, whoo. So, um, he uh, talked about how he slid into Wonder Boy's DMs and Wonder Boy hasn't responded to him. Also, as he was talking about sliding in the DMs, he's talking about sliding in the girls' DMs and sometimes won't necessarily respond if he's got another girl next to him. Damn. <laughs> I, Damn he he also had a very not safe for work comment about uh, Sean Strickland and his uh, injured finger. Oh, my God. I won't repeat in case someone's listening to this and got kids around, but I'm just saying it's not safe for work. <laughs> His comment about that. Um, he did. I mean, look, this is a fight that I would expect is going to play on the feet. Now, Daniel Rodriguez, if I, you know, if you were him and a smart game plan, it would be to try to use live wrestling, but that's not really what he does. Kevin Holland called Daniel Rodriguez's uh, boxing street boxing, which I basically took as is he believes that uh, he's a little wild, doesn't really have head movement. So, but that that one should be uh, a fun match. You know, we haven't seen Daniel Rodriguez since August of last year. Uh, this fight's at 180 pounds. Kevin said that the reason the fight's at 180 pounds is because that's what Daniel Rodriguez would take the fight at. He said he was more than willing to have this fight at 170. He actually even went to the point and said, I like weight cutting. I was like, yeah, don't hear that out of fires too often. Yeah, out of anything he said in his scrum, that might be the craziest thing I've heard. Uh, look, Holland's a crazy dude. I'm excited to see him fight. The UFC knows what they got in him, and that's someone they can count on to have a performance of the night. He's had back-to-back performance of the nights. I think he's going to get a win here. I think he's going to get a bonus here. I think this is, uh, out of anyone on this main card, not in the main event, I think Kevin Holland is probably most likely to get a big bump in notoriety from people watching the main card. I think because he's probably going to get a finish, and I think his post-fight interview will be entertaining and memorable. So I, w- I would definitely look at Kevin Holland as someone that a lot of people will be talking about after this pay-per-view. Uh, right now, Diane, Macy Chieson, 135-pound matchup. Macy Chieson returning to 135 pounds for the first time since 2021 when she got that win there against Marion Renault. Big matchup here for Arena Aldana. She's 3-1 in her last four fights. She just hasn't been a very active fighter over the past couple of years. She hasn't fought uh, more than once in a year since 2019. Uh, you know, her last three fights have taken place over the last three years, the end of 2019, October of 2020, and July of last year here. Uh, big matchup for Arena Aldana. Macy Chieson could be a sneaky of if she tries to go the takedown route. We saw Holly Holm do that in her victory against against um Arena Aldana, but kind of a, a sneaky key matchup at 135 pounds. Yeah, well, for Macy, she's got a way to win, and, and that's what it is. And, and that's probably what makes you feel good about maybe siding with her if you want to go with an underdog. But for uh, Aldana, I, I just think she's got some of the best stand-up in this weight class. And I, I think that's what makes her as a potential title challenger so exciting is the idea of her standing with Amina Nunez and what that looks like down the line. 
So I think she keeps on the feet. I think she wins this one, and I think it's exciting. I, I think Adonia is one of the more exciting 135er is in, in the women's division, and she has been for a good while now, and it's large due to the fact that she has a high-volume stand-up approach. Yeah, it's uh, I, I like how Donya in this matchup. She might be actually one of my favorite. Uh, you know, if you're looking to make a bet, she might be one of my favorite bets of the fight card. Uh, we mentioned about Johnny Walker and Ian Kutalaba. I, I don't know who to trust in either one of this ones. Um, Ian Kutalaba, the the two to one betting favorite in this one. Uh, Johnny Walker, he's lost four out of his last five. Of course, he's been training over there in Ireland with with SBG Kutalaba. You know, since 2019, you look at his record, not a great record, two four and one. But then when you look at the losses. Glover Deshera, uh, Ankalaev, and Span, and he's a guy. He can be a wild man. Um, this fight may not last long. I think that's the reason why it's the opening fight of the pay per view. I think the UFC believes it's going to end quickly here. I, I think the smart uh, play is to say Ian Kutalaba goes out there and win, just because you just look at what, how Johnny Walker has been in his last five fights. You just you know, I, I, it's tough to pick him. Yeah, I kind of foresee this one being all action all the time and over under five. And I think that's largely Kutalaba getting the finish there. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, Kutalaba is one of these guys. I think he's, it's, are you an 85 or are you a 205? Or for Johnny Walker, I mean, if he loses this matchup, I mean, he may be joined Tiago Santos at the BFL. Yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking too, <laughs> being the same tournament. Uh, you know, we mentioned about that Dowdu and Arosa matchup. I think that should be a fun matchup. Uh, you know, Dowdu, uh, six and two in the UFC. Uh, six of his last seven fights have gone the distance. Uh, but I think Julian Arosa is going to bring the fight to him. Uh, very quietly, Julian Arosa has won four of his last five fights since coming back to the UFC. Three of those uh, uh, four wins coming in, in or four ones since coming back to the UFC, I should say. And to me, I think Julian's just going to bring the fight to him. You know, obviously there's been the question marks with Julian's chin over the past couple of years, but I think he's really answered those questions over the past couple of years. Uh, this should be a great matchup here just because, uh, you know, Juicy J, friend of the show. I'm going with the homer pick. I'm going to go Julian Arosa. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I like Arosa to win here too, man. I, I, uh, I love the fact that he's an underdog in this fight. Duwadu is really good, but Arosa, since returning to the UFC, has looked you know, really freaking good. The success is there. And when you see a guy at this talent level in a matchup like this as an underdog, it gets you excited and makes you want to go with the pick and it helps that he's on the podcast quite often. So, uh, yeah, I I think Juicy J's the pick as well. We're in, we're in agreement. And then you got a catchweight matchup of 220 pounds. Jolton Almeida, the big favorite here, 7-1 to one betting favorite, taking on Anton, who uh, won on the Contender Series just a couple weeks ago, uh, back at the end of July here. Uh, Almeida, 2-0 in the UFC, both first-round victories here. He's essentially, you know, he's working his way down to 205 pounds. That's why we got catchweight here. Of 220 pounds. Uh, you know, Anton, he was 11 for 16 in takedowns on his contender series fight. Uh, when you watch the film of him, there, there are some defensive liabilities that you see here. Uh, if uh, Anton is able to pull off the upset, to me, it's going to be the grappling and taking this matchup to the ground. Uh, but, I mean, Jolta Almeida, you, you see why everyone's so high on him. Um, Anton, the only concern I would say is if he does get to the ground, I do wonder about him, uh, the cardio, not necessarily being there. Jolta Almeida is, is the pick for me. Yeah. I remember seeing him against Parker Porter, and it was really impressive there. And I think it's going to be the same situation here. I think this is Almeida winning, winning impressively, and getting another finish as, as he works his way down. I, uh, I, I'm a big fan of him. 
Uh, then you got a middleweight matchup, uh, Denise and Pickett. Uh, J.E. Pickett is one of those guys. I swear, I cannot pick his fight right. I'll pick him to win. He's going to lose. I'll pick him. I'll pick him to lose. He's going to win here. Um, this is a matchup that I think could be sneaky, uh, you know, fun to watch here. Um, you know, Denise is a guy that's known for, uh, you know, his finishes. Uh, Pickett's last two wins have come by uh, decision. He is coming off a loss against Kyle Dawkins. I'm going to pick Jamie Pickett, but that just go means just go take his uh, take take Denise here in, in the underdog money. Yeah, I was kind of on the fence on this one. Uh, but having heard your analysis, I'm going Denise here. Uh, <laughs> Don't blame I'm, I'm, uh, looking at my research. Where is it at? And, uh, yeah, it says, uh, if Jason picks Pickett, don't pick Pickett. So, uh, according to my, uh, my research, uh, I'm going with Denise here. Oh, no, that, that is spot on. Uh, you mentioned about the heavyweight matchup with Jay Collier and Chris Barnett. Jay Collier's due, bro. You know why? Because he, he's alternating? Since coming back to UFC, he has alternated <laughs> losses and wins. He's coming off a loss, so it means he's due. Uh, five of his last seven fights have gone the distance. Uh, Barnett, one and two in the UFC, a guy that uh, I'm very familiar with, was a, a local ticket seller here in the Tampa Bay area for, for a long time. Uh, coming off that loss against Martin Boudet back there in April. Jake Collier, you know, one thing you, you love about him is, I mean, it's still every time I see that side-by-side photo of what he looked like when he was a 185-pound fighter to where he is now, where literally he's cutting weight to make weight at heavyweight. Um, volume. He throws a ton of volume here. I think this is a sneaky, sneaky, potentially Jake Collier goes the takedown route and ultimately gets a submission. Yeah, because the thing is, Chris Burnett's got power, you know, and it comes from the gut, and it and it and it could absolutely not be the type of fight that Collier would want. And if it's not on the ground, I could definitely see him win the fight against the cage, with the clinch against the cage. So, um, I mean, yeah, Collier has shown more skills than Barnett. You know, he had a pretty big fight against Arlovsky that, you know, Arlovsky Arlovsky him, but. uh I, I think Collier kind of has more sharper tools to, to get the win. But if he stands and treads with Barnett, he could be on the receiving end of a highlight reel knockout and Chris Barnett doing some type of gymnastics inside the cage. Yeah, Chris Barnett's a great character. Uh, Nora Dumont, Danielle Wolf. Uh, Nora Dumont coming off a split decision loss against Macy Chieson back in May. That did snap a three-fight losing streak. Her last four wins have come via decision for Danielle Wolf. This will be her first fight since winning her MMA debut back in 2020 on the Contender Series. Uh, she was supposed to fight Felicia Spitzer last year. I remember when... Um, Danielle got that win on the contender series. There was a lot of people kind of sitting back going, why did the UFC sign her? Um, Norman Dumont, a big favorite here. I think Norman Dumont is the favorite, but Danielle Wolf does, does have that striking. Yeah, but I think Dumont's going to put her down and easily win this fight. I mean, you know, the, the resume just isn't there to, to feel confident at all about Danielle Wolf in this fight. Yeah, I mean, I, I just, you know, one of those ones, I mean, I understand why the UFC brought her in because of the striking, but I think Norman Dumont here. Uh, then you have Alatang and Ann Helger. Uh, Chad, you know, this is a crazy story about Chan Helger. His first seven fights, Daniel, he was two wins, five losses. He has rolled off 10 in a row. One is UFC debut back in February, third round TKO against Jesse Strider, which the first two rounds are not going his way at all. 
at all. He was he was down 2-0. Comes back, gets a third round uh, victory uh, there at TKO. Uh, Alisane Hali, 3-1-1 in the UFC. His first four fights in the UFC, all going distance, coming off a 47-second win against Kevin Kroom. I like Alisane Hali uh, in this matchup. I think he'll get the best here of uh, Chan and Helger. Yeah, I think uh, it's a hell of a story you put out there on, on Chad, and it, it it's amazing to, to look where you know, man, to be on the scene like that, two and five, and to battle back and make it to the UFC, that's a hell of a story, my man. That's a hell of a story. But Alatang, uh, to me, has had, you know, he's just looked better in his run in the UFC, more fights, and, and I, I agree with you. I think you got to go with the favor in this one. Then you got a, a female matchup of Melissa Martinez, who is making her UFC debut, taking on Elise Reed. Uh, Melissa Martinez, last time she had an MMA matchup was back in 2019, uh, known for her karate and kickboxing. That, that last fight, by the way, was in Combate Global. Uh, five or six wins via stoppage. Uh, Elise Reed, one and two in the UFC, uh, coming off a third round loss against Sam Hughes. Uh, Elise Reed struggles when she goes up against wrestlers and grapplers where they have the ability to get her on the ground. Sam Hughes was able to do that in her last matchup, but this is stylistically for Elise Reed. Uh, it is a fight that she would want here. Um, she is the underdog. I think she's one of the more interesting underdogs in terms of the preliminary card, just because she's not going up against someone that is going to sit there and, and want to wrestle with her. Uh, this is a fight that I expect to play out on the feet. And if you're uh, looking to wager on the fights, uh, Elise Reed would be one of the underdogs that I'd be looking at sprinkling some money on. Good, good call there. I, uh, I'm going the other way. I'm going with the favorite here, Melissa Martinez. I think uh, I think Martinez is an interesting fighter. She has a, a really good charisma about her that she showed in Kabate. And she's someone who I think, if she's successful, could be a, a, a notable fighter in the UFC. I think she's got that type of personality uh, and that type of fighting style that's exciting. So, look, I, uh, I expect a stand-up fight. I think she outpoints her. But we'll see. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's a it's a it's a big step up for her to, to jump in and take on Reed after her running combate. Then the opening fight of the night, Darion Weeks taking on Johan Linace. Uh, Darion Weeks 0-2 in the UFC, but those losses against Brian Barberina and Ian Gary, both decision losses. Johan Linace lost his UFC debut against Gabe Green. Uh, he got off to a great start in that matchup against Gabe Green, but slowed down as the fight went on. Gabe Green also got the decision win here. Uh, I like Darion Weeks just and primarily because I I, th- I like his, his gas tank potentially wearing down Johan Linace. And also, I mean, He's, I thought he's looked good in terms of his fights against Brian Barberini and Ian Gary. Ultimately, he didn't get the win, but I thought uh, were, were decent performances by him. Yeah, I think this is a tough one to pick, right? I mean, we have two guys who simply have not won in the UFC, right? Like, Johan at least won a contender series, but we, we haven't seen either of these guys have success in the UFC normal. I'm going I'm going Johan here just because when you have two resumes like this, I'll side with the uh, – with the underdog, and I think prior to his UFC debut, Johan's resume is just a little more impressive than Weeks's. But Weeks has gone against better competition, has performed better, so it, it's a tough one. But it's absolutely a must-win. I mean, I think for either guy, a loss and you're out, and you know the stakes don't get higher than that. Oh, no question about it. But I'll be looking forward to watching UFC 279 on Saturday night. Of course, uh, last weekend was UFC Paris. Had two notable matchups. Of course, Surreal Gone getting the win there against Tatu Avasa. And 
Robert Whitaker getting the win against Marvin Vittori. Tatu Avasa, I thought, uh, performed better than I expected, but ultimately it's those, those body shots, and, and I, that's something I mentioned on the show last week. I thought that could be a, a real key for him. But, you know, as we look forward to this UFC heavyweight division, a lot of, I think, uncertainty is, is a way I would describe this division. you got Francis Ngannou, champion. We all know recovering from knee surgery. Contract, you know, is done in, in the end of this year. UFC really wants to do John Jones, Francis Ngannou. If they don't do that, they want to do John Jones, DPA Miocic. They'd like that fight to happen in December. Curtis Blaze has already come out and said he would like to take on Cyril Gaon. Cyril Gaon didn't exactly sound too enthused about that. Uh, Cyril Gaon, obviously, because he wants to fight for the title. He's going to be out six months. He broke his hand, you know. And then, like, it's... I did not realize this till I pulled up the UFC rankings. Did you realize... The number five challenger right now is Sergey Pavlovich. I did not. Yeah. Yeah. It's That's one a, gone, two Miocic, three Blades, four Tuavasa, five Pavlovich, six Aspinall, seven Lewis, eight Volkov, nine Rosenstruck, ten Tybura. Dude, but I mean, it makes sense for, for Pavlovich because, like, look, it was, uh, it was a questionable stoppage against Derek Lewis, but he still kicked his ass. And, you know, Derek Lewis is a top 10 heavyweight. And Pavlovich, who has just kind of been on a hell of a run after his last to Overeem, it, it makes sense. Man, Cyril Gaon, I, I don't – this heavyweight division is just a mess, dude. It's just a mess. There's a whole lot of guys who are injured, taking time off, who's an interim champion, who's whatever champion. Uh, it's, it's, uh, it's a tough one. I will say I would love to see Gaon take on Stephen Miocic. That is a fight I would yeah. love to see happen. You know, I would I would love to see moving forward Jones and Ganu, Stipe and 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 Gan. I think the big loser is Curtis Blades. Maybe you match him up with Pavlovich, and then that you know we we'll call it a day. I mean, it's a, it's a bad matchup for Sergey. And Curtis Blades is the one of those guys you just don't want to fight if you're anybody because he's just going to wrestle you. You know, but he's he's the least sexy fight at heavyweight. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think because of that wrestling, it becomes kind of this like, oh, man, what do you want to do? Uh, you know, we talked about uh, the other one that co-main event was Robert Whitaker goes out there and does what Robert Whitaker does. Just look great. He once again showed he's the number two middleweight in the world right now. Like, it is clear he is the number two middleweight. Yeah, yeah. And, and now for Whitaker, what's next? Well, it's probably fighting Alex Pereira after he loses yeah. to Adinsanya. It's almost like Whitaker's role was just to take on guys who lost to Adinsanya. The fight that I heard that I thought made the most sense was him and Paulo Costa. Yeah. I uh, I mean, there's not much else in this weight class for him, man. I mean, uh, Whitaker, yeah. yeah. If, you're, Whit- if that- you're Whitaker, you need either A, Alex to become the champion in November, or B, Izzy vacates the, the division and goes to 205. Yeah, the thing is, if Alex becomes the champion, they're going to do the rematch, you know. So then you got to root for Alex to win twice, and then you get the championship opportunity. So that's the timeline that works, and uh, you know there may be some smoke to that. But uh, yeah, I mean, so you think Izzy would vacate it and what just pursue two hundred five or or retire? He's he's talking about pursuing two hundred five. Yeah, I don't know about that one. If I'm out in Sanya, I mean that Jan fight was just a real reality check. For that physical difference. The other thing about that fight is kind of where does Marvin Vittori go from here? I mean, you you look at, you know, his last three fights, 
Austin against Izzy, lost against Whitaker, did have the decision win against Paul Acosta, which was, it was a 100, uh, or excuse me, it was a 205-pound matchup. Like, like to me, Vittoria, it's like right now you've shown that you're at best the third best guy in this division. But there's just a massive gap yeah. in the stand-up between these two. I mean, this was a very tough loss for Marvin Vittori. The good thing for the Italian is he's young, man. He's still on the other side of 30. He's still got a long career ahead of him. But this was a reality check. The stand-up was Robert Whitaker's territory, and Vittori just wasn't comfortable in there. And it was Whitaker dictating the entire fight. So for Vittori, it's just a matter of probably just waiting Whitaker out, waiting the prime of Robert Whitaker out, and maybe – when Marvin, three years from now, you know, Whitaker's out the door and he could maybe fight for the championship. But realistically, there'll probably be a new middleweight that's at the kingpin. So for Vittori moving forward, I, I just think he's kind of on the outside looking in when it comes to the championship picture. It was a big opportunity against Robert Whitaker. And unfortunately for Vittori, he just kind of got sent back down the ladder. Yeah, I mean, it, it's... Yeah, he had a, an Instagram post where basically he essentially the short story is he's like, I will be champion one day. Um, you know, but like you said, I think there's going to be some guys that have to vacate this division. I mean, it's just one of those things of when he couldn't get the fight to the ground, he could, he just, he couldn't outpoint Robert Whitaker. And, and Robert Whitaker looked great. And I mean, it was a, it was a solid performance, an amazing crowd there in Paris where people didn't see that fight card. It was a, I mean, those, those fans were in their first fight of the night. I mean, it was, just, it was an amazing environment. Yeah, it's, it's crazy how things have changed, man. What you're thinking about how long it took for uh, mixed martial shorts to get legalized in that country. You know, just thinking about when I think of great Parisian, fi- great French fighters, excuse me, you know, Czech Congo, you know, representing France, Norman Parisi, you know, in, in a country where MMA like wasn't legal. It, it's incredible nowadays to, to, to go and see that crowd and, and they were hungry for it. Uh, something to mention before we start to kind of wrap up this show, uh, Mitch Raposa, who was on Sunday's episode of the podcast, he was scheduled to fight tomorrow night for the vacant flyway title at CES MMA 70, uh, CES officials, uh, hit me up a little earlier today. Let me know that Mitch Raposo, uh, is off of that fight car. So that fight no longer taking place. I had John Dotson on the show, a uh, great conversation with John where he, uh, he talked about not closing the door to return to MMA he says his contract with BKFC does allow him to, to return to, um, to MMA if, if that were to happen. So he said that's potentially, uh, but you know, it does have his sights set on, on getting back inside the BKFC ring there. Also, uh, the end of the conversation was, uh, talking about, uh, so he did a deal with OnlyFans. And, uh, and he goes, he goes, it's not that type of, of page. He goes, it's more a page about, you know, fans can interact with me, training tips, things along those lines. And uh, talking to some other people, it sounds like OnlyFans is really trying to get out of that stigma. But uh, I saw I saw someone uh, put a, a graphic up. It was like uh, percentage of revenues, UFC, 20%. OnlyFans, 80%. <laughs> Well, you know, I think we got to start our OnlyFans, man. I think that's the moral of the story. Now that we heard that you don't have to show all your skin, you can give some tips. You can give some audio engineering you, tips you, on your OnlyFans. You know who he, uh, John told me was one of his very first followers on OnlyFans? Who? Kevin Holland. 
Kevin Holland. Uh, Kevin Holland has it. I remember he was on Ariel's show a couple months ago. He's like, yeah, I started an OnlyFans page. He's like, yeah, it's just, you know, it's just me, me a way to, to uh, interact with my fans. I'm going to, yeah. If I get popular, I'm going to get one. I don't know what the hell I'm going to do on it. I'll show some skin. You know, I I will. Uh, without a doubt. It, it, you know, like all joking aside, it it makes me think of the comment that Sean O'Malley had a couple weeks ago where he was talking about the fact of using the UFC brand to increase your brand of, to allow yourself to make money on other platforms. And it kind of made me think about, you know, we hear all the stories, you know, I remember, um, you know, Beck Rollins did a story a couple weeks ago where she was talking about how, um, that money really, you know, changed her life. And, you know, Fleece Herrick has done some interviews talking about how much money she makes there. And it really, it makes me think about is, is it more of more on the, on the female side of this sport that those fires are just realizing like, Hey, I can build my brand through the UFC to allow me to make money outside of the UFC. That's what you need to do in this game, man, because, you know, you have to capitalize on that and, and, and be smart financially to keep the, the, the thing churning. Because, again, that paycheck isn't steady in this sport. No. It really isn't. Only for a few amount of fighters. And, and that, to me, is something that needs to be beat in the heads of every single fighter that gets an opportunity to fight for the UFC or PFL or Bellator. Any type of brand you get is something you need to take advantage of to put money in your bank account because that's what pays the bills. Man, right now, if I'm a free agent in MMA, PFL might be my number one choice. Hell yeah, if I'm talented and I think I can win that a million dollars, that's exactly where I would want to go. Make a mill. I mean, you have to get to get some of that back to Uncle Sam. But Look at Kayla Harrison. Look how much money Kayla Harrison has made over the past couple of years. Yep. To, I mean, like, not trying to come off disrespectful here, but she's not fighting against the elite talent. And she's, and she's making seven figures. Yeah, I mean, there's a good chance that if she went to the UFC right now, she'd have less money in her bank account. Than had she stayed the course, it could have gone the other way. She could have, you know, gotten a cut of the pay per view, been a part of some big pay per views, and made a whole crap lot of money. But there's a much higher risk. She could have dropped the fight, lost a couple. She's taking on, you know, Larissa Pacheco is good, but that's your toughest challenger, and there's a really big physical difference. Look, you know, it, it's uh, it, it's uh, it's a great place for Kayla to be. I mean, let me look at you. You bring up Shane Burgos, and, and I think he's a great example. You're a top 10 top 15 fighter in the ufc you kind of know what that road looks like and they're what that financial road is going to look like when you go to pfl you win what you know four fights in a calendar year you're a millionaire mm-hmm. it's uh yeah easy yeah. decision <laughs> absolutely without a doubt I, I i wonder if they you know at what point do maybe we start to see bellator fighters fight out their deals and pfl becomes their home I think it's going to be impossible because Bellator runs like like uh, eight events a year. I feel like they have become the forgotten promotion of MMA. Yeah, because they literally don't run events. Like, come on. And like when they do, every other fight card isn't great. You know, they got Bellator's got to get their stuff together. They really do, man. Uh, yeah. I, I think, you know, to me, the tough part, and this just is coming from a, a combat consumer aspect of it is it's not in a way it's easy to get their content but in a way it's not like you're on a 
premium network that either you, you know, you, you get through your television kill provider, maybe your streaming provider, or you get on the, on the Showtime app. The, the one thing I will say the downside of the Showtime app is there's not like a DVR function on it. So like if you don't watch it live, you have to wait for them to actually post it on demand. And it's not posted on demand immediately. That's why I got a part of my YouTube TV package just so I can DVR it. But like, I do think that what hurts Bellator is if you're not a Showtime subscriber, you're not really seeing it. Yeah, and I just think less people are Showtime subscribers than other platforms. I would imagine there's less people that are Showtime app subscribers than ESPN Plus subscribers. I could be wrong, but I feel like more people probably use the ESPN Plus app than the Showtime app. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, oh, like look, in terms of platforms, PFL is on a better platform. Yeah, and and you can't under you can't overstate how important it is to be easily accessible. Because there's just so much content out there, people are going to migrate to the most easily accessible thing. And even though Bellator is easy to access in comparison to the PFL product or the UFC product, it's just people are already conditioned to go to ESPN Plus now for mixed martial arts. I mean, how, I mean, there's times at night I just sit there and I go on you know my ESPN app and I just kind of see what's there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's a uh, I think ESPN Plus has just been one of the big successes in the streaming wars. It's one of those. It's one of those apps that I just go go to all the time. ESPN Plus, hell, Disney Plus too. You know, they uh, they do a good job. The uh, the the uh, the Disney Corporation. I don't know the last time I watched Disney Plus. I haven't. <laughs> yeah. Well, I use it. I have. Yeah, we all have. Well, it I, I've got I've got the the Hulu Disney Plus ESPN Plus bundle. It just seems like every uh, every. Uh, month they have a new interesting tv show i might like like a new superhero show or a new star wars show and, uh, I, and then they also have all the disney classics and they have like the simpsons i want to say well yeah 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 it's on disney plus uh the one thing that i will tell you i started watching on hulu is their los angeles lakers documentary it's really good really good it's a doc- so it's a documentary yeah it's a documentary that starts off when dr bus bought the lakers okay so like oh. I, I think I've watched uh, the first three episodes, mm-hmm. and like basically right now you're like towards the end of the eighties. I have to check it out. I have to check it out. That sounds good. Yeah, it, there been... was a, a great story they're talking about the first time Magic Johnson went to Doctor Bus's house, and uh, he told one of his uh, one of Doctor Bus's daughters like, "Yeah, I won't be here five there, five years. I'm going back to Detroit." Wow. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's a hell of a story. Damn, yeah. He, yeah, he probably yeah, he probably thought he was going to be Mr. Michigan. Yeah. Damn, that sounds like a good documentary. Yeah, a lot of Lakers content came out all at once. Yeah, because there was, of, there was uh what was it, HBO? Didn't HBO have one? Isn't that the I one that, that. Uh, people ripped that uh say it didn't depict uh, the story correctly? Kind of. I mean, it just it took liberties with characters. I think um Jerry West is pretty upset with how he was portrayed. It was a good show. I saw it all, and it was entertaining, but it, it was like caricatures to make it more entertaining. Mm. And I could see like they made Jerry West seem like he was always pissed off, which he probably was always pissed off back yeah, in the there, day. There was a story where they were talking about um, how James Worthy almost got dealt to the Mavericks. And they, people started calling Jerry West. Jerry West is like, what are you talking about? Yeah. The owner had traded him without even consulting his GM. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and they basically ended up having to get the trade pull, but yeah. That's awesome. That's a good doc. I gotta check it out. Yeah, that, that's a, that's a good one. Yeah, it's uh, I haven't watched the Manti De- uh, Teo documentary, but I've had so many people tell me I need to watch it. 
Yeah, though uh, that Netflix Untold, those documentaries are really freaking good. Like on the way home, I saw the one on Tim Donahue. I've heard about that one, yeah. Yeah, they just uh, it's like a thirty for thirty, but with an edge is how I would describe this 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 uh, Netflix Untold series. Yeah, apparently that's really good. Yeah. By the way, much easier to fly in twenty twenty two than it was in the past two years. By the way. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it is. It, It is, but they're still crying babies, so it's still not perfect. How packed was your plane? Oh, it was packed. It was yeah. Every every seat. I, I flew Allegiant, so uh, okay. It was packed. I've never yeah. flown Allegiant. It's the it's it's cheap. <laughs> hey, well, I was thinking know. about that. Is there? Is, I'm guessing there's got to be an international airport in the Rio Grande, right? Yeah, we flew out of we flew out of uh, international airport. Okay. We flew out of uh, it, it's about an hour drive for the park, so we flew out of Sanford International. And uh, we flew straight. That's, it not was that, straight. that's not that bad. Yeah, it was a it was a straight shot too. So no, uh, it was it was kind of cool. Oh yeah, you gotta do nonstop. You gotta do nonstop. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I did nonstop. And uh, yeah, the only thing I gotta say is you shouldn't have be able to have, be on an airplane if you're younger than five. Okay, <laughs> just if you have a kid, I don't get why people take children to Disney World that are younger than five. Okay, they don't remember it and they just cry the whole time. I know Disney is made for kids. But I don't have a single memory of myself five and younger. And all you're doing is just having a bad time when your kid's crying on the bus, etc. I, just, it's, I yeah. don't have memories as a kid of being at Disney. I'm sure my parents took me. Yeah. But I don't I don't have memories of it. I went as a child. Uh, but yeah, it was one of those things where I was with my when I you know, went with my girlfriend and it was like, shouldn't we have kids? And after a week at Disney, the answer is not yet. <laughs> <laughs> she popped that question already Ooh. no no oh. no she, we both came to the same conclusion oh. riding enough riding enough disney buses we both came to that conclusion because yeah it was just like you could just see the parents and you feel for the parents kids are monsters they really are man uh dude i take, like I I take sh- my nieces and nephews i know what you mean but how young are they uh, eight to four. Okay, the four. Yeah, four. That's crazy. That's a. Uh, oh, he, like, he's he's well behaved. That's good. Yeah, he's that's really good. good. Yeah, so but some of them are just like ticking time bombs. Like they're 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 calm. I was like, oh, that kid looks calm. And like five minutes later, he's literally he's been possessed by a demon. And I'm just like, <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy. No, it's 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 a good time. We're actually uh, me and my wife are going back over in uh, the end of this month for Halloween Horror Nights. Oh yeah, Universal. Yeah, it looked cool. Yeah, looked they had, cool. yeah, it was kind of nice seeing the kind of all the setup there. So we're uh, we're pass holders, so we get one free ticket a year for Halloween Horror Nights. So I'll say, one th- I'll say one thing: the uh, the uh, Born Stuntacular show was freaking badass. I've never gone to it, dude. You should go, man. It was good. Like it was a good freaking stunt show. Yeah, you need to go. I can't believe you haven't been to that. No, no, I I'm not. Like, I'm not I been to like, that one. Yeah, yeah, man. Like big recommendation. Like I went to all the shows at all the parks except for Phantasma because that one's you know not going on right now. But uh, that was the best one, without a doubt. I mean, yeah. did we go on the uh, rocket rip it like you told me you didn't want to? No, uh, I didn't, dude. I told, I I said I would do it, and thank God. It was not going because there was lightning. 
<laughs> that was the part you're like, thank you, Florida weather. Thank you. Yeah, I totally, totally, totally. But uh, yeah, man, uh, I'm just scared going upside down. But I'm, I think I'm, the, I'm with you, bro. I'm with yeah. you. Yeah. The reason being is I feel like I can like control myself from not dying if it doesn't go upside down. But once it goes upside down, like I'm, I can't, I can't prevent myself from dying. So I don't want to leave my life in the hands of a roller coaster. Yeah, I, I yeah, you, that, if I see that roller coaster goes upside down, yeah, I'm not going on it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Call me a whip. Call me whatever. I don't care. I ain't going. Yeah, I checked that that safety thing so many times. Like, come on, is it? Is it? <laughs> I, ch- I I check it so much. I'm scared I'm gonna bust it open. But uh, yeah, it's a, it was a hell of a time. Haggard's ride is fun though. Oh yeah, it was fun. Did you? Did, we, were you I, I would guess you were on the bike part. Yeah, I was. Yeah, that's a fun uh, ride. Did you like when yeah. it went uh, backwards though? Yeah, I liked it. I liked it. It was crazy. <laughs> uh, man, my girlfriend needed to take a she needed to take a break after that ride. Oh really? Got her, got her dizzy. <laughs> got her dizzy. Yeah, we had to we had to take a break, man. We had to take a break because it, it got her. It got her because we did that one and she was like. I re- I remember years ago. So this would have been, I don't know, 2018, 2019, maybe before. I remember me and my wife went to Animal Kingdom and there's one roller coaster there. It didn't go upside down. It was just like a regular roller coaster. I remember getting off it, sat down, go, I'm too old for this. It's probably the Thunder Mountain. Wait, no, Animal Kingdom. Hmm. Hmm. I will tell I you I, I, the one thing um I really did enjoy it when we went to Animal oh, Kingdom it's was probably the, it's probably the Everest. Yeah. Uh the safari uh, where you got like on that bus and they kind of drove you around. I thought that was yeah. cool. Yeah, the Kilimanjaro safari. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, that was cool. I, I think the ride you're thinking of is the Everest one. Could be. Because yeah, that was the one. That one was that one was very similar. That one you go backwards too. It's very similar to the Haggard one. But yeah. But, yeah. I, you know, I, I just remember I got off and I'm like, yeah, I'm too old for this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I dug it. I dug it. I, I will say things have changed. Um Back in my day, you would go to Disney World and all the characters would be out and you get autographs. And nowadays you have to go and like go and wait in a line and, you know, get get an autograph of Mickey Mouse, you know, wait 50 minutes. But back in my day, they would just be all around the park and you could just go up and get autographs. Not that I was good in autographs. You know, I'm 27, but just just observe that. I mean, what you weren't trying to get a selfie? No, I I, uh, I was not trying to get a selfie of a person dressed up as uh, as a mouse. <laughs> By the way, speaking of mascots, we on this. Did you see the Ravens mascot tore up his leg? I no. What happened? Yeah, pull up, pull out his knee. How? Was, how? They were performing and yeah, tore his knee up. Jeez, and uh, uh, John Harbaugh did a hilarious. Uh, uh, press conference is like, uh, hey, uh, I'm glad for everyone showing up. Um, so their mascot's called uh, Poe. He uh-huh. goes, just want to let everyone know Poe is out for the season. <laughs> He's, uh, yeah. Sorry He's if you drafted him. Reserve. <laughs> Sorry if you drafted him in fantasy. Uh, he's on the IR. That is that poor Poe. Yeah, I did my fantasy draft. Oh, we got it. We got to end on this. You know, Daniel's in the central time zone. He has learned. Being an East Coast sports fan makes me you guys stay up late at night. Yeah, man, it's crazy. It's crazy. It's like ten o'clock and games are going on, and it's like the third quarter. I gotta say, the Central Time Zone is the best time zone without a doubt. Dude, like, no, like, no, 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 
No, you, bro. You, you think West, you West gotta, Coast better? You got to experience the West Coast time zone. You're right. I got to live through it. I got to live through it. But there's just something about like your game's over and it's like nine o'clock. And it's like, well, what do I do now? You know, I like going to sleep after the game. Dude, it's it's crazy. Like, yeah. you know, obviously, you know, traveling for, for broadcasting. There's times where, you know, you're doing a game in California in the fall. You wake up on Saturday morning at 9 a.m. And all the noon East Coast games are kicking off. Like, it's awesome. Yeah, that is awesome. That is, uh, I can't complain about that. But oh, uh, West Coast, that they, yeah, they they've got that market cornered. Yeah, I guess I got to try it out before I hate it. But uh, I, I enjoyed the change of pace. But I still love my Central Time Zone. Ooh, like a warm blanket. And in my bed, I'm glad I'd be back in it. But yeah, no, nah, <laughs> I got I got to get I got to get my butt back in the gym, Jason. I put on about 25 pounds in a week. Didn't know it was possible, but I did. Yeah, that and that and uh, laundry. Yeah, that too. That too. I'm a smelly bastard. <laughs> That's awesome. But of course, we appreciate everyone tuning in for this episode of the MA Report podcast. Of course, new episodes come out two times a week. Next episode uh, will come out either on Sunday or Monday. Um, actually, line up some interviews for tomorrow and get that up for the next episode of the podcast. Of course, myself and Daly back next Wednesday as we'll recap UFC 278 and talk about everything else going on in the world of MMA. So uh, get this podcast out, podcast, Spotify, iHeart, wherever you get podcasts, and also at radioinfluence.com.